What's up, wellness gang, and welcome to the Embodied Wellness Radio, a podcast framed around creating the healthiest and happiest lives we can possibly make, specifically related to female health. By my side is my lovely co-host and partner in crime, Sarah Collins. Hi, everyone. And without further ado, let's get into today's guest for the show. Today's guest embodies the true meaning of pursuing your passion, lifelong learning, and forever honing your craft. Because when just two doctors of TCM diplomas isn't enough, he also has an equivalent to a PhD in Japanese medicine to boast. Having studied in Japan and also been a professor at multiple TCM schools over the years, this man is a wealth of information that by the end of this podcast will have your interest peaked in alternative forms of medicine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Calvin Crichton. Calvin, we're so excited excited to have you on as today's guest. Uh, maybe you can let the people know a little bit about yourself and your journey in TCM, as well as what the heck TCM even is. When I was a little boy, I lived in a place called St. Catharines, Ontario. And every Sunday afternoon on Channel 29 coming from Buffalo, they would have Kung Fu movies. Nice. And I was amazed... <laughs> I, these were the 70s Kung Fu movies. Oh, so I was not amazed. Kung Fu Panda. Not Kung Fu Panda, <laughs> long before that, and even before the Karate Kid. So that, that gives you how old I am. But in that process, I was amazed as a little boy how someone could be involved in a spiritual discipline, martial arts to stand up for people who are oppressed, and also be healers. And little did I know, I was, I'm almost 40 or 52 now. When I was about 40, I realized I'm kind of on that path. I don't know how well I've done it, but I'm kind of on that path. We'd say you're doing so, pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I started uh, as a little boy doing martial arts, and that continues today. And part of that journey through my 20s was to compete worldwide. And so... Uh, at one of the world championships in Okinawa, Japan, um, I was into, introduced to a teacher and he said, you know what, you need to be a healer. And I said, okay. So I came back to Canada and I started the process. Meanwhile, uh, I had just become ordained as a Presbyterian minister. And while I was a minister for 10 years, I was doing TCM training as well as doing martial arts. So it's been three disciplines, and I think I was heavily influenced by those Sunday afternoon kung fu movies. So anyways, the whole process really started for me in healing when I was about 29, and I started with foot reflexology because I couldn't get into any kind of TCM program. But a year after that, I started, and to tell you the truth, I haven't stopped, stopped the learning process. Awesome. And could you let our listeners know what TCM is and kind of how traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture works as a practice? Um, a lot of people say that traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture is about 5,000 years old. Uh, it's hard to validate our sense of TCM, as the abbreviation goes, to think of it solely as the acupuncture and TCM we have today, you have to go back only about a thousand years. And then especially in the last 150 years. So what is traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture? In a nutshell, people in the past looked at their environment and they went, hey, I'm hungry. The leaves are falling. There's roots. 
I think I need to try that to sustain life. In the process, they found out that there were therapeutic effects. Also on the battlefield, for example, a person would be shot with an arrow and should they survive that, um, they noticed that some of their uh, um, some of their aches and pains disappeared. And as such, they thought, well, that's an arrow. What if we shrink it down? And so they started to use fish bones and that sort of thing and stimulate certain sites. And all of a sudden, they noticed that it had healing properties. Now, for us today, with more of a science background, we can think of this. When you do acupuncture, it is a form of trauma to the body. And I don't want to intimidate your listeners. We do all kinds of trauma in the literal sense, where, for example, if someone massages your back and there's a squeezing and a relaxation type thing, there's an immune response to that. And those immune responses can be favorable or taken to the extreme, which would be in the martial arts, would be not so favorable. TCM kind of lands in, in the middle to the favorable side, which is with a little bit of trauma, you can get pretty amazing results. Now to sum that up, TCM is the, the medicine part is looking at our environment thinking, what plants, what animal byproducts can we use to treat modalities? Whereas acupuncture, Acupuncture initially started, as I said, with wound type uh, healing that modalities seem, or uh, those modalities seem to be able to dissipate pathogens. And so at one site, they went, hmm, that does this for the face. What if I added this point too, as opposed to this point? What would that create in the body? And before you know it, they mapped out a whole bunch of points and a whole bunch of different strategies and arrangements and got all kinds of therapeutic effects. And then they started to notice that these points actually uh, were connected, if you like, by lines. And they were linked somehow to organs. So all acupuncture really is, is putting a needle in or multiple needles in a particular formation to get a particular effect from an organ and its organ system. Now, one thing I think is tremendous is really the fact that all of this modern science and cool things that we have going on right now, machines and testing protocols, and you go back thousands of years and all of this ancient medicine is starting to come back and be proven by modern science in a way that now we're starting to come around and go, oh, that over there, they actually had something figured out thousands of years ago. When we date this back, was it just trial and error? Or how did they end up finding hundreds of acupuncture points? What kind of technologies were they doing to actually figure this out? Or is it really kind of unknown to us still? Yeah, it, it's, it's still largely unknown, but the framework, one of the reasons it's largely unknown is because the framework can't be accepted to find a lot of the answers of why the people in the past did it. For example, if I do a hand sweep over my arm and I sense right there that it's somehow a little bit hollowed out, that's kind of a deficiency for us and I can palpate on the abdomen to find exactly a correlation with that. Um, the people of the modern age might not be ready to accept the fact that you can wave your hands like this. Yeah, it sounds a little uh, woo-woo to some people, right? Right. <laughs> But 
it's verifiable that there are people who have skills to do that. And I think because people were so in tune with themselves and nature that this is how you had to do it. You would rub and somebody one day went, what if I just do this? That's a really excellent point, especially during like this case of COVID going on and people finding this awareness with their mind and with their body and maybe integrating uh, meditation practices into their life. All of a sudden, I feel like this this level of uh, body and mental awareness is starting to come out. And maybe perhaps we're on the path to that of more of these um, energy type healing or uh, awareness uh, moves being accepted by our modern society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and again, it, it is a very pragmatic medicine when we talk about sweeping over your body like this part of that came out of social norms too for example in a lot of china's history not a lot of it but parts of it men and women were not especially in uh the courts of imperial china men and women were not allowed to be in the presence of each other so if you had a male doctor working on a princess that princess would be behind a screen And that doctor would have to listen to the quality of the voice of that patient. And the way that they actually took the pulse was they took a piece of of silk and they tied it to the wrist of a princess and ran it under the screen over to the doctor. And the doctor would have to be so sensitive with the heartbeat that they could feel the changes in the pulse. We haven't even begun in the West to look at some of the complexity of the diagnostics that they did in the past. Um, Part of it based on the social norms of keeping the sexes separate. Uh, There are a lot of dolls. You can see them on eBay and that sort of thing where it's a woman reclined like this. A woman in many uh, cases were not allowed to talk about their body. All they could do was point and the doctor had to be really in tune with the female patient to figure out exactly what the problem is because she wasn't permitted to voice. It was considered undignified to do that, especially to a ma- uh, in a man's presence. So the complexity of how they had to develop is way beyond what we think of because a lot of gender issues aren't a problem in the West for the most part. So. Uh, And we haven't even begun to look at that part of the history. And for me, that's the most fascinating because even though it was restrictive, within that restriction, you develop amazing diagnostic and treatment abilities because you're you're limited. You're saying, look, we only have this to work with. How do we we, uh, accentuate it to make it extremely good? Whereas today, we don't have to worry about that stuff. We can only look at this part of Chinese medicine. Hope that answers the question. Yeah, and another point on that as well, which kind of leads us to the issue is why women are so sick. And still today, we live in a male-dominated society. So the time that we wake up, the time that we are expected to go to work, the way that we go about our day are essentially based off of the male biological clock. So circadian rhythms, you wake up, you are expected to be the same every day, do the same job every day, which is 
a big reason why we believe many women are so sick because we're living in this society that's based off of men, essentially. And so touching back on what you mentioned about the cycles in our environment, um, part of TCM is Taoist theory, which is there are patterns in the world and there are patterns to the changes that happen in the world. And so we are essentially trying to match ourselves with these patterns in order to stay in harmony. And by living in this society that's based off of what's optimal for males, we as females are pulling ourselves out of our natural cycles to fit into this male world, essentially. And so it's very challenging for us to be able to optimize our biology and optimize the cycles and changes that happen in our body with our hormones in order to fit into today's society. So maybe you could tell the listeners a little bit about kind of how cycles work in our in a female body in relation to hormones and how that might relate to environmental cycles as well. Okay, so just to very briefly lay out a few cycles. The first is the 24-hour cycle. Energy runs in a pathway in the body, and as it goes, it carries blood and nutrients. Um, Ancient people also say it carries your spirit. Now, what does that mean? That's a little bit elusive. Let's just for the sake of your listeners just say it's your consciousness. Your consciousness is found in every cell in your body. How how does it get distributed throughout the blood? This is one theory why bloodlines in the past were so much of a focus for a lot of people, whereas the blood is essential. Well, how do you move the blood through this energy, this energy we call chi? It's moved through very distinctive pathways. And in the run of the day, there are 25 cycles that it flows through. And at night, 25 cycles that it flows through. Now, the nighttime, it, it flows a little bit deeper, and it's, its emphasis with the, with the blood and the uh, fluids is a little bit different than during the daytime. The next cycle, um, for what we're talking about today, is the monthly cycle for female. And that usually consists of 21 to 35 days, with 28 days being the mean of that, meaning the middle of that. And then we also look at seasons. But interestingly, for example, if you go through a stressful time as a student and you have a sinus infection in the spring, this becomes a pathological uh, pattern whereby if you don't address it that year, then it will repeat itself identically the next year and it becomes an established pattern. And this is because your emotions have been depreciated, life is challenging, that brings a pathogen in, it establishes, and the brain actually anticipates the following year that that cycle will resurface. So it actually creates kind of a stimulate or a, a simulation to kind of diffuse down a little bit of uh, a bigger pathogen that can come on, and this becomes cyclical. So there, there, there are different cycles, and whether they're positive or negative, we help to regulate those, diminish those, and offset them and help the person create a new path. Awesome. And so 
in the West, we know of four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. In TCM, we also have the in-between as well. But it's been known that these four seasons can relate to the four weeks or the four phases of the menstrual cycle as well. So follicular, ovulatory, luteal, and then the menstrual. Can you discuss a little bit about how those might relate to the seasons or what some of the matching qualities are? Okay, well, let's take apart the cycle as is. So uh, in the first week, the follicular, this is preparation, okay? And the preparation is kind of think of an empty void cave and you want to create life in there. So there is emphasis on strengthening the chi, the energy of the body, and also nourishing the blood, as well as uh, nourishing the yin. Now, what does blood and yin mean? Well, chi means, for simplicity's sake, is just the energy, the energy for uh, physiological function, as well as organic function in the brain to the uterus. Um, blood is a little wider than we think. It's not just about iron deficiency for us. It is nutrients, but it provides warmth, it provides lubrication, and it provides detoxification. So we want to strengthen that the first part of the cycle. The second component is yin. Yin, you can think of is uh, nourishing fluids, sticky fluids, like cervical secretions and thickening of the lining, as well as thinner fluids, okay? Salivation is one sign, and the licking of the lips is a sign that estrogen is starting to flow. So when we see that in the follicular stage, when we're needling, you start to see this, that's actually a good sign for us. In the second stage, we want to nourish um, yin even more as we approach ovulation because this yin deficiency, which is often equated only to estrogen, which is an error in my opinion, um, this moistening, this refreshing, this uh, fluid generating helps you to prepare for ovulation. Next, the third stage, which is the luteal, this is more of the yang. This is the dynamic movement of the egg, the implantation, the holding, that sort of thing. And should that not take place, then there's a period of energy accumulation so blood can stagnate, if we think about it, and release. So that's to break down the cycle in a nutshell. But your question was, how do you link it to the cycles of the four seasons? So in TCM, we actually have five seasons. And it depends on the viewpoint of the practitioner. Um, my viewpoint is this. We have four seasons with three weeks at the end of every season where the humidity is a little bit higher, okay, a little bit higher. So as such, um, uh, dampness in those times of humidity kind of implant in the body a little bit more. Metabolism is a little bit slower in the gut, in the bowel movement. Cycles might be thrown off a little bit because things are moving a little bit slower. How would I match that, though, with the uh, four phases of menstruation and then the four seasons? This you would have to go to school for because, <laughs> to be honest, Sarah, I don't have the time to, to take that apart. 
So really quick, when you talk about um, yeah. this, uh, this season and then the three weeks at the end in the relation to humidity, now you're, talk, you're not talking about environmental, you're talking about internal. No, I'm talking about environmental. How, how, do, how does this work then? Okay, so for, the, for example, at the end of August, in the middle of August to the middle of October, which is we're transferring from summer into fall, what we see is the drying out of the leaves. The first, what you see is the dissipation of the brightness or brilliance of leaves on the trees, okay? That's about middle of August. By about the end of August to the first week of September in the Vancouver area, they're definitely dried out. Hmm. But what you'll notice about the middle of September, people start to get a little bit of phlegm in their throat. Yes. Well, the dryness from the heat is moving into the fall, and and uh, um, this is particularly hard on the lungs. And what we mean by that is the lungs, the skin, and the mucosa anywhere around here. But there's also a little bit of phlegm that formulates in there, and we believe that that's partially because even in the driest part of the year, you have this rise in humidity. And as such, processes start to slow down. And then the next thing that you start to see in the fall is people have a higher rate of uh, dream disturbed sleep and nightmares. Now, I think it's very interesting, actually, that um, as I learned more about traditional Chinese medicine and such, it's there's a level of just very rational thinking that's put into it. Because immediately you say dampness, and I start thinking as high as I can, like, okay, he must be talking about some sort of science within the body. And no, it actually really goes back to some of the most basic things. And I think that's uh, something that we don't really think about a lot in a, a lot of, like, I'd say Western medicine is that some of these very basic things of me drinking a very cold water every single time I, before I go to bed, and all of a sudden I get a cold the next day. And we don't rationalize a lot of these things. How do you think that some of these Eastern practices are going to start being brought back into uh, our Western culture before we move into the next questions? It's funny. Um, It's already here. It's embedded even in the English language. I feel blue. Mm. We know that to mean I feel down. Blue um, in Chinese medicine is uh, part of what we call the water element which is in a healthy state is introspective, nourishing. But when it's overcompensating, it's dark and submerged. Boy, you're really fired up today. That could be a person who talks a lot, who chats a lot, right? I'm green with envy. I'm green with envy. If we even took our English language apart, we would see that a lot of Chinese medicine, which is very pragmatic, is already embedded very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is just listen to your grandmother. Boy, I can tell it's going to rain because my arthritis is really killing me in my knee where I had that injury years ago. Joints in Chinese medicine are very much linked to the exterior because you can kind of think of a crack in an ice. This is the skin, and there's a crack in the ice with a thin layer of skin cold and damp very easily get inside of there. So even in times of where you're moving from the summer into the fall, where you're moving from heat into dryness and that dampness spikes, grandma's already telling you that there's a change in humidity in the air and your joints are aching. All we have to do is listen to people 
and look at our own English language, and you've got a lot of Chinese medicine there, it's extremely pragmatic medicine. It just has very pro poetic language that if we don't understand the language, we have a tendency to poo-poo it, that it, it's not practical. Yeah. So before we move on to the next question, just touching back to the cycles, one thing that is starting to emerge in a Western sense in regards to female health is a method called cycle syncing. So essentially, you are altering your nutrition and your lifestyle practices to match each phase of your cycle in order to optimize and best support your hormones and the state that your body is in at that time. So as we were talking a little bit about the seasons, it's almost well known to adjust the way that you're eating and your lifestyle in regards to the season. So for example, in the winter, we tend to eat more nourishing and warming foods, ideally. And then in the summer, you wouldn't really be eating a hot, spicy bowl of soup. And so we can start to understand our bodies in a similar sense. Um, we can start to make better sense of how to use these changes to support ourselves. So for example, during the fall is when it's sick season or people tend to get colds, flus the most. Same with from a menstrual perspective, your luteal phase would be related to the fall. And so during the luteal phase, we see women experiencing PMS. So this is the week or the 10 days before your cycle. And it's when women tend to feel their least best or the worst, essentially. And so it's also the time of the most change and learning to kind of match the way that the seasons are in your body is a great way to start to understand it. So for our listeners, the week after your period would be seen as spring. So eating a lot of fresh, vibrant foods, your energy is typically a little bit higher. So supporting those changes. And then as you move into ovulation, your body temperature is naturally higher. So you have a little bit more energy as well. Your body can handle colder foods, lots of salads, raw veggies. As you move into the week before your bleed, so the luteal phase, you need to focus a little bit more on self-care and really making sure that you're listening to your body, taking care of yourself, and your bleed would be seen as the winter phase. So eating lots of warming, nourishing foods, lots of fats, and lots of proteins um, will really help to support and optimize your hormones as you move through these changes. So cycle syncing from a Western perspective is about looking at your body and looking at the changes that are occurring inside of your body. And if we can look at that on a grander scale, starting to relate them to our environment and learning how to use environmental cues and use what we already know to be true about our environment within ourselves as well. So this kind of leads us into the next question, um, which is, why is TCM and acupuncture so therapeutically amazing for infertility and for dealing with female hormone imbalances? Um, the first thing I like to say about that is we were talking about natural cycles, whether they're weekly, monthly, yearly, or repetitive due to trauma or illness at a particular time, and then it repeats, like in the case of allergy. So, to keep it very simple for acupuncture, you put a needle in and it moves the energy, which moves the blood and the fluids. And as such, it can have an, orga an organic side effect, such as it can change hormonal levels. It can affect the physiology. So the peristalsis in the gut, for example, uh, improve uterine contractions to aid uh, cervical ripening, which means getting ready to have a baby in a week or two. 
And the third thing it can do, it can literally reset structures. So if I put a couple needles up here and adjust and it settle it back down. Okay. So by putting needles in, we're trying to literally just correct the flow of the energy. So there's a lot of cascading effect that goes through there. Okay. So one of the things that it does is, re, as I said, reset the actual natural cycle. But here's the thing. This is the thing that, unfortunately, TCM and Western medicine is merging too fast without giving this much thought. What you just cited in the idea that, you know, take foods according to this, I absolutely agree with this. But there's this fascination with, uh, treatment through diet, exercise, and reduction of stress is three simple but domineering things uh, whereby you do these, you'll be successful in your fertility, okay? Um, the thing that trumps all of that is the idea of emotional context of where you are in your cycle, whatever kind of cycle, whether it's seasonal, whether it's month monthly, and that sort of thing. So what I'm trying to say is, let's address the food first. If your TCM practitioner tells you, eat more broccoli, and you see that, okay, I already feel like I'm being punished for not being pregnant. It should be natural. Why are my friends getting pregnant and I'm not? And my doctors told me to eat broccoli. So this is a double punishment for the psyche of a lot of, of women, which is I hate broccoli. My mother made me eat it when I was young. And so you get a huge amount of gastric secretion in the gut, okay? So I'm very careful when I, I talk to patients about how to alter their lifestyle because I know that there's, we have a saying, ye leads chi and blood, which moves the body. What that means is your intent or your mindset influences the fluids and the energy of your body and therefore your structure, your organics and your physiological function. And that has to be central and foremost, which is, look, I'm not going to tell you to cut anything out. I'm going to suggest that you do this and that you be faithful to it. And we see what happens. That is the practitioner coming beside the patient. Well, we're going to explore this together rather than don't do this. So this is the first thing, because that initiates punishment, which is um, eat this, exercise this way, think this way. Yeah, but how do I do that? How do I do that? So that's the, that's the caution that I want to say before I go any farther, which is know the person, that's what makes our medicine unique. Each person is unique. And as the person, you can see their body language. They go, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do this, but while well, they're already telling you, they're seeing that uh, solution as part of the overall problem. And that can be detrimental to resetting any kind of cycle. Okay. I know that that's not talked a lot about amongst our peers, but I want to caution that that is deeply embedded in our medicine, how a pe person thinks about anything, including food or, or, or exercise or whatever the case might be. Um, okay, now having said that, can you ask your question again? 
Yeah, so the question would be why TCM and acupuncture is so successful or so useful in treating infertility as well as female hormone imbalances and menstrual issues. Okay. The first thing is because a lot of women really feel victimized and rightfully so. I mean, they feel that their body has betrayed them. I remember talking to one lady who had two miscarriages. Uh, she was 28 years old and and she's just started crying. She says, I really hope this time I don't have a period because I want to be pregnant. And I said, what's the concern? The concern is my mother-in-law and my, my husband, the amount of pressure on me right now. Okay. The first thing is with Twina, which is a type of acupressure and massage combined using very therapeutic oils, such as tangerine, and vanilla, and lavender, and everybody who's hearing this going, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> this, this addresses the fundamental thing important for immune function to reset a cycle, which is human touch and contact. That Great has point. To, yeah. Second point is the placement of the needles amongst that. Uh, we haven't, in the modern sense, really looked at this much. If you bombard the person with needles all over the place, as opposed to have a systematic method of starting from the feet up to the head, what you're doing is you're inducing a little bit of trauma, as I said earlier, and then the immune system responds. Is this valid or is this, should I be in fight or flight? And it's the pattern is set by the needles, then you have a much greater response or a quicker response for those natural cycles to be reset, okay? Now, with the aid of food, I think of food and herbs and what we call a regular seeding, which is little seeds that are taped to an ear that you can press at home. All of this are therapists that go home with the, pre the, the patient. So they don't feel that they've seen you once a week and I can't wait to see that person again because they did such a nice massage on you. Okay. I actually have multiple therapists and that's the way I encourage them to look at it look, this is your therapist. You're not always going to like a therapist like herbs, right? It tastes like dirt to a lot of people. But other things, putting essential oils on particular points, this is going to go with you every day. Now, little beknownst to them is they are resetting their cycle every day. And it's actually good if they have four therapists per week in the form of me plus those other therapies I've mentioned, that you give yourself uh, a day or two off each week of consciously thinking about it. Otherwise, five weeks down the road, it's starting to feel again like a punishment. And all of a sudden, there's the period is thrown off again, and you don't know where that came from. So... Yeah, that's a great point. Because even with exercise or nutrition or anything like that, working with clients, it's, it's important to have those break periods because there's a, there's a fine line between obsessive and awareness. Um, so I love that point as well of taking that break to just live and without being hyper conscious of each one of the decisions you're making. And as we know, stress is one of the main culprits in affecting your menstrual cycle as well. So sometimes when you're trying to fix the issue or fix infertility, you can work yourself up to the point where you're shooting yourself in the foot and causing other issues later on by being so stressed about being healthy. So that goes yeah. back to the uh, idea of intent and how your mindset will affect your 
healing and your body's natural cycles and your ability to stay in homeostasis as well. Uh, one thing, one of the most defining factors to reset a cycle is this. Uh, again, talking about exercise is a form of punishment on top of the punishment that you can't have a baby because that's the way it's perceived, right? I have to devalue myself because I've been devalued by an illness or whatever the case is, and two wrongs actually create a right. This is not good on the psyche of a person long-term. But if when you're exercising, for example, I'm looking out the window right now, and I'm seeing beautiful uh, gold, green, red, and orange leaves, and if your exercise connects you to something that is beautiful, life-sustaining, life-expanding, your immune system responds immediately. But if it's, I got to get on that machine again, because maybe, maybe machines for you might be punishment. I know for Sarah, it's not for you, <laughs> but it's a lifestyle. And it validates you, but to someone else, that might be, okay, I got to go to the gym again and stand around and wait for and this is what I have to do so I can have a baby. You can hear the talking of your patients that this is punishment for me. But if you can exercise and enjoy it and set an environment that's beautiful and the smells are beautiful and the sounds are therapeutic um, and you can eat in that environment. Well, I can't do that. I, I live in a very difficult household. Even if you could take one favorite thing and set it aside close to you while you're eating, even if it's a tumultuous environment, you will have greater immune gain effects, which will affect your endocrine system, your blood circulation, and your lymphatics, okay? It's not quite the kind of interview that you might have hoped for, but I, I wanted to make this point because this you'll have a lot of people who in the future will focus on the specifics of how to eat, according to cycle, how to exercise, but how to think should trump all of that. Mm -hmm. okay. Beautiful. And this kind of leads us into our last question, which would be if you could give our listeners a few tips on how to optimize their female body through TCM practices or multiple therapists, as you say, through their day-to-day -day life or weekly, what would they be? Okay. In a nutshell, He's happy. He likes this question. Because, <laughs> again, it leads back to the very pragmatic, right? Okay. So your ear is an upside-down fetus. That's what it is. It's, it's a little baby, and that's the head. And this little fella or lady knee is bent up against the side and the arms straight down. By simply rubbing your ears, your, and inside and out, you're increasing circulation. You should do that every day because they're forming nerves in, in the body, a branch of each is connected to the ear. When you rub your ear, you're actually stimulating your whole body. The second thing a woman should do is do abdominal massage regularly, and if they have PMS breast tenderness or pain, um, and when I say regularly, regularly, I'm talking about especially fertility issues, three to five times a week, five minutes, massage your abdomen. Okay. Um, when it comes to breast, if you have PMS, um, breast tenderness, you should start this a week before um, you start to have any kind of signs or symptoms. Okay, so that's the second thing. 
you should rub your kidneys often. Think about it this way. We often think of our abdomen in the front and our low back and our kidneys in, in the back, and they never meet. That's just not true. That is a three-dimensional model around here. So when you rub your abdomen, you can actually offset low back pain and kidney dysfunction. When you rub your kidneys and your low back, you can actually offset abdominal dysfunction, whether it be uh, gynecology or like constipation. It's, it's great to rub your own back. The next important thing is take a hot water bottle, two small ones, and get them at the dollar store for a couple of bucks each, right? So it's not a big expense. Take those and put them on the femoral artery on uh, the inside of the legs. This is a pipe of blood that's ignored by people in a lot of treatments that um, it's essential for that blood flow in and out of the abdomen to be optimal for anything from infertility to PCOS to endometriosis, whatever the case is. So just very quickly, I gave you a few ideas. Rub your ears every day, massage your belly three to five times a week and include the lower back. And when you're just sitting around, take a couple of small hot water bottles, put it in the femoral artery inside the groin. Well, Calvin, this has been extraordinary. I'm actually super excited to get you on for a second one because I feel like we can go right down the rabbit hole on some <laughs> of these energetic medicines because I feel like uh, we and yourself align very well on this is not just physical exercise and nutrition. Um, so I'm excited to kind of go down that rabbit hole next time that we speak. In the meantime, if anybody wants um, links to these actionable items that uh, he's mentioned in the podcast today, head on over to the website embodiedwellnessco.com slash TCM Calvin. And there you can go to find anything that's written out in this podcast um, from things that can help you in your day to day. But again, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you for either consultations or treatments? Because you are obviously a wealth of information in your craft and we want to send some people your way. Well, thank you for that. Um, Qi Integrated, QI Integrated Health. Just Google that. It'll come up and I can be found there on 7th Avenue in Vancouver on 7th and Burrard. So that's Chi Integrated. Fantastic. Wow. We will show, uh, we'll put that in the show notes as well for you. Thank you okay. so much for joining us today, Calvin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Enjoy your day. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.